joined us on week two of a uh, four-part series, a topical sermon series, looking at what Jesus has to say about various topics. Last week we did sin and forgiveness. Uh, this week, the church and traditions. Next week, uh, grace and election. And then the last week, on scripture and on truth. Why don't I pray, and then we'll get to it. Uh, Father, what a great privilege to, to meet together, to meet with you. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for your spirit. Uh, Father, we pray that you would give us hearts, minds and souls that long to hear you speak. Uh, Father, I pray that no one would leave this, this uh, building tonight uh, without some understanding of who, who you are, how mighty you are and how great Jesus is. And we ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, I've, had a, I've had a great week this week. I don't know what your week's been like, mine, but it's been great. Partly because I've had so many good conversations about Jesus. It's been utterly extraordinary. I had a haircut on Friday, as you probably noticed. Um, Best conversation about Jesus because of World Youth Day. I stood outside church a number of times this week just talking to people. I even put my dog collar on one afternoon and, and chatted to people. I asked lots of questions. Uh, one question I asked was based on tonight's uh, sermon. What is church? What is church? I've got some extraordinary answers. Uh, oh, church. Church is a place where I go to be forgiven. Church is a place where, where I go because my mum and dad told me to go. <laughs> church is a place where I go and meet my priest. Church is the place where I don't go anymore. But I've got a holiday in Sydney, so I thought I'd come to World Youth Day. What is church? The great thing about World Youth Day is that it's in the media. I mean, I picked up the paper on Saturday. This is extraordinary, isn't it? Front page of SMH. You've got the cross. And inside, you've got an explanation of the last few hours, few days of Jesus. Extraordinary. Since I've been in Sydney, which is, what, six years now, SMH has done nothing but bag out the church. To have that on the front page is extraordinary. You see, in the press, we hear lots about the, the scandals in the church, the abuse in the church, but we rarely hear about... You know, how people are being cared for and comforted and counselled through the church. Uh, uh, the press are quick to report on divisions and, and schisms, but they don't report on, you know, when you walk into a church and you see uh, the rich sitting right next to the poor and the intellectual sitting next to the illiterate. Uh, the press are quick to report on, on the falling numbers in the church, but they don't talk about how people are coming to Christ and having a real relationship with God and how churches are growing. And so to have a week where God is on the agenda and the press is positive about the church, I'm not saying it's all good, but what I'm saying is that, you know, use it. Use it to talk about Jesus. I've had a great week this week. Uh, tonight we're looking at the topic of church. What is church? If you ask family and friends that question, what is church? I guess their, their ideas will be shaped by the media. 
or their ideas will be shaped by their personal experience of church, either a good experience or or a bad experience. Or their, their answer would be shaped by the Christians who they know, people like you, and what you're like. That's their idea of church. So what is your idea of church? Why do you come? Some people might say, oh, church is uh, just a shop for consumers. You know, you come and you sample it. If you like it, you take it. If you don't like it, you go. Or for some people, church is just a place to come and be entertained. It's like a, like a show. You sit here and, and come on, entertain me. And you leave and say, oh yeah, it was quite good tonight. Uh, for some people, church is just a place where you come for your own private worship, a little temple where you come and meet with God. And for some people, I'm sad to say, church is almost like a club where you, you sign up for membership and you pop along occasionally and then when you pop along, you, you pop a $10 bill in a bag just to top up your membership. What is church? How would you answer that question? Let me tell you how the Bible describes church. Way before any institution, any clergyman, any traditions, see how the Bible describes church. The first church at Mount Sinai or at Horeb, way back in Exodus or in Deuteronomy. It's up on your screen. Deuteronomy 4. God says, Remember the day when you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb at Sinai, when God said to me, Church the people before me, to hear my words, so they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. That's the first church. Church the people. Gather the people into my presence so they may listen to me and love me and revere me and learn from me and teach it to the next generation. That is church. The gathering of God's people. Coming together to meet with God, to hear God, to love God, to revere God. I don't know whether you've had experience where you know, your extended family, uh, they all get together and they fly from different parts of the world for a uh, 40th wedding anniversary or something. And they come together into one place, into one room, for one purpose, uh, to celebrate one occasion. That is church. Random people, individuals gathering together into one place, into one building, into one space. Why? To meet God, to listen to God, to love God, to revere God. See, church is not a New Testament idea. God's always been about church. God gathering his people to listen to him, to hear him. People, that's church. Gathered people, saved people, redeemed people. What is church? This is church, three things. It's people grounded in Jesus. People grounded in Jesus, or confessing Jesus, or declaring Jesus. Jesus only used the word church on two occasions in the Gospels. Once in Matthew 18, we'll look at that later, but firstly in Matthew 16, turn back to it, page 694. Page 694, Matthew 16. The context here is, just like today, lots of opinions on Jesus. Some say he's a great man, some say he's a madman, some say he's a healer, some say he's the saviour. And Jesus says to his disciples, who do people say I am? And then he kind of turns to Peter 
And that sort of that look in the eye and the fingers at you. And he says, uh, who do you say I am? Come on, nearly colours to the mask. Who am I, Peter? And Peter uttered these extraordinary words in verse 16. Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, and the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. This wasn't revealed to you by man, but, my, but by my father in heaven. Key verse, verse 18. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. You are Peter. You are, Petros means rock. Uh, it's not the first time that Simon's been called Peter. Uh, Jesus gave him that name way back at the beginning when he first followed Jesus. Now stick with me because if you get this right it will help you understand what church is. You see, some people read this verse, verse 16 and say, verse 18 rather, uh, that you are Peter and on you, Peter, I will build my church. Uh, now, Peter was a, an extraordinary man. You know, he was a great apostle. He was a leader among the apostles. He heads every New Testament list of apostles. He was one of the inner three who saw the transfiguration. He seems to be the spokesman for the, all the disciples. He, he walked with Jesus on the sea. He, he was in charge of selecting a replacement for Judas in Acts chapter 1. You know, he preached the first sermon. He's an extraordinary man. But he was just a man. A sinful man. You know, it's Peter who got confused at the transfiguration. It was Peter who refused to let Jesus wash his feet. It was Peter who fell asleep in Gethsemane. It, it was Peter... Uh, after the resurrection even, in Galatia, who's denying grace and going back to law. And straight after this confession here in Matthew 16, when Jesus says, I'm going to suffer and die, uh, Peter says, no way. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. He's not calling him Satan, he's saying, you are the spokesperson for Satan. Peter, a great man, but a sinful man. So look at the verse again, is he saying on you, Peter, I'm going to build my church. He doesn't say on you, Peter. He says on this rock. What is the rock that he's talking about? It could be the literal rock, the rock he's standing on. It could be the Christ. I mean, Christ in the Bible is called the rock. Dependable, unchanging, truthful, perfect. But surely in the context, he's saying on the rock of the confession. Peter's just said, you are the Christ. He says, that's right, and you're Peter. And on that confession, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. He's saying, whenever anyone confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, the Lord, the Son of the living God, on that confession, I'm going to grow my church and build my church. It's going to be my church. The church of Christ. The body of Christ. The bride of Christ. The people of Christ people who confess that Jesus is their Lord and their Messiah, that's church. It happened for me when I was 20. Two years I'd spent learning about Jesus. I'd learned so much stuff about Jesus, but the day when I said, Jesus, you are the Christ, you are my Lord, you are my Saviour, you are my Messiah. And I walked into a church building and suddenly I was part of church. I belonged to church because actually I was connected with the other people there because we are all one in Christ. It's such a simple point, but my fear is that people get sucked into religion and traditions and church. Because church is a great place for social networking. 
you can fill your diary every night of the week with something at a church. A church is a fantastic place for you to be satisfied, to feel that you're needed. Church is a great place where you can leave fulfilled, feeling good about yourself. And you get stuck into programs and habits and rituals and caring. They're all great things. But if Jesus is not there, it's not church. Church is people confessing Jesus as their Messiah and their Lord. And I have to say that I need to ask you tonight, like Jesus would, who, who do you say Jesus is? If Jesus stood here and looked you in the eye, I bored you and said, who do you say I am? What would you say? A good man? Teacher? Healer? Or you say, you're my Lord, you're the Christ, you're the King. See, when Jesus looks at his church, he doesn't just see the faces of the people there, he sees the hearts. And there will be people here tonight who have been in church all their life. But they're still not saying that Jesus Christ is their Lord and their Saviour, he is their King. Please keep coming, please keep coming, but don't think that you are churching. We can't until you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. Church is people grounded in Jesus. Church is people, secondly, submitting to Jesus. Because Jesus is not just the foundation stone of the church, he's actually head of the church. I'm not head of the church. Peter Jensen is not head of the church. The Pope is not head of the church. Jesus Christ, he's the head of the church. Look at these verses on the screen. Colossians 1, verse 18. He, Jesus, is head of the body of the church. Or Ephesians 5, verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he's the saviour. As the church submits to Christ, it's the one who formed the church through his death, through his resurrection, he's also the boss of the church, the head of the church, if you want. There's a simple kid's song by a guy called Colin Buchanan. And it goes, you know, Paul is not the boss. Uh-uh. Peter's not the boss. Uh-uh. Benedict's not the boss. Uh-uh. Cuss, Jesus is the boss. I'm not going to sing it. Jesus is the boss. He's the king. What do you do with a boss? Just think about it. Think about all those who you're under at work, in your family. What do you do with a boss? You submit to them. Sometimes you don't like it, sometimes you grumble, but they're still the boss. And Jesus is saying, I'm boss of this church. Obey me, listen to me, love me, love my word. Uh, John, 8, John chapter 8, if you hold to my teaching, then you're my disciples, then you're church. Uh, John 14, if you love me, you will obey me. That's what it means to submit to Jesus, to, to listen to Jesus, to hear him speak, to cherish his word, to trust his word, to do what he says even if you don't like it. And some churches are very blunt here. They say, I don't like what Jesus says. Let's just rip it out of the Bible. But other churches, like us perhaps, we read what Jesus says, but sometimes it's just too hard, isn't it? Sometimes he's too demanding. And we say, no, he doesn't understand what I'm doing right now how tough I'm doing it. So I'll I just ignore it just for a little while. 
And Jesus says, no, it's my word. I know you. I know you better than you know yourself. Just obey me. Just trust me. Just submit to me. Whatever I say is for your good. Because I made you and I loved you and I saved you and I've brought you to myself. We're called to submit. Just come with me to, to Revelation chapter 1. It's on page 867. It's a beautiful picture of, of the risen Lord Jesus. The ascended Lord Jesus. And he's walking amongst his churches. Revelation chapter 1. It's on page 867. I'll read from verses 12 to 20. And just see how glorious Jesus is and what he's doing to his church. I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, that's Jesus. He's dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. A picture of a king. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, purity, wisdom. His eyes were like blazing furnace. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. His his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars. Out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. What does John do? He sees him and he, he, he submits, he worships, he falls at his feet as though dead. And Jesus places his right hand on, on John and says, Don't be afraid. I'm the first, I'm the last, I'm the living one. I was dead, but behold, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore what you've seen, what is now, what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. All churches from all time. And Jesus is saying, I'm holding this church, I'm holding church by the bridge, I'm holding every church in my hand and I'm walking amongst you. It's like he's walking amongst us now, watching us, caring for us, Loving us, rebuking us. You know, he's not just a distant boss who, who, we, who, who redeems us and has nothing to do with us. He's actually here amongst us, talking to us by his word. And we're called to obey and submit. Let me ask some questions. What happens when people claim too much authority in a church? What happens when a church is built on a personality and not on Jesus? What happens when a church is all about our church? Come to our church, join our church, give to our church, serve at our church, our church, but no Jesus. I'll tell you what happens. It becomes people focused. And then people don't submit. They don't like what God says. And it shifts away from the scriptures and away from Jesus. You're coming to to meet Jesus and to listen to Jesus, to know Jesus better. Why? So you can serve Jesus and honour Jesus and love him with every aspect of your life, even the bit that you don't want to hand over to Jesus. He demands it of you, because he's the boss. When I preach, don't say, oh, Paul says this. Say, the Bible says this, and love Jesus because of it. Look at your leaders. Are they modelling that submission to Jesus? 
We're not a club. We're not a network for 20 and 30 something. We're not a dating agency. We're Jesus' people who love Jesus and submit to him. And when people don't do that, actually Jesus calls the church to rebuke each other. And the second time that Jesus uses the word church is in Matthew 18. It's a story where if your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him. But if you won't listen, take a second person. If you won't listen again, he says, take it to the church, the gathering. Why do we rebuke publicly? It's not about the reputation of, of church by the bridge. It's not about the reputation of the Anglican church. It's about the name of Jesus. Because people see the church and they make their opinion about Jesus based on what they see. Now we've seen it in the papers this week, haven't we, with, with the Pope saying sorry. Great thing to do. Saying sorry for the, the shameless acts and the wrong acts. Why is that important? It's not just for the victims, but, but it is for the victims. It's not just for the Roman Catholic Church, but it is for the Roman Catholic Church. But primarily it's important because of the name of Jesus. Because these people are supposed to be modelling Jesus and representing Jesus. We're people grounded in Jesus, submitting to Jesus. We're people united in Jesus. I love it when people say, say I'm praying for you, Paul. I love it even better when they do pray for me. It, it's easy to say, oh, I'll pray for you. It's harder to actually pray. But, you know, Jesus prays for us, for you individually, interceding at the right hand. But he also prays for this church. How do I know that? Because he tells me in, in John chapter 17. It's on the screen. Look what he says. My prayer is not for them alone. That is the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me, that's us, through their message. That all of them may be one Father as you, and me, you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. Why? So the world may believe that you sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. What does Jesus pray for? For for unity, for oneness. Uh, Oneness what? In Christ. Verse 20. Those who believe in Christ. How do we believe in Christ? Through the message, through the message of the apostles, through the apostolic message handed down, through the scriptures. See, all people who love Jesus and love the scriptures, we're one with them. We're united. We're not united in traditions of men. So our unity is not in the, the 39 articles of the Anglican Church. Our unity is not in Vatican II. Our unity is not in belonging to any one denomination. Our unity is not based on traditions like how we do communion and what age you baptise people and whether you you raise your hand to worship or stand like soldiers or whether you sit to pray or or kneel to pray. It doesn't matter. But what does matter is that you love Jesus and you love the scriptures and you obey the scriptures. We are one in Christ. Don't mishear me. We must stand up for truth. There's no unity when we deny things like the deity of Christ and his death and his resurrection. But my fear is that, is that we're quick to put up the barriers based on traditions. 
and on man-made traditions. There's a story of a, of a pastor of a church who invited a visiting preacher and he had him back to his house for lunch and, and over lunch uh, the, his five-year-old son, the five-year-old son of the preacher, of the, of the pastor, sorry, he turned to the preacher, the five-year-old turned to the preacher and said these words, What abomination are you? What abomination are you? He meant denomination, but what abomination are you? And I just wonder whether Jesus is up in heaven saying, what abomination are you? We should be praying, Lord, forgive us for our denominations. You know, I don't care whether you're Anglican or Baptist or, or Uniting or Presbyterian. What I do care is that you love Jesus, you love the Scriptures, you obey the Word, and you worship Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And you're one. You see, get this right, and it changes the way that you relate to people. For the people that you don't know, who cross your path, you don't judge them, you don't box them in based on which church they go to, you know, say the name of the church, and you've got your list of, oh yeah, they believe this, etc. Talk to them. Find out what they believe about Jesus. Are they your brother and sister in Christ? What about the way that you treat each other that you do know? You know, we're family. Remember Jesus with his disciples, his disciples said, uh, Jesus, your mother and brother are outside, and Jesus turns and says, no, no, you're my brothers, and you're my mother, you're family. And when you read the book of Acts, the early church in Acts 2, they, they met together regularly because they're family. And they ate together, and they prayed together, and they shared their lives with each other. That's what it means to be family. See, Jesus said, a new command I give to you, that you love one another. And when we do that, when we are united in Jesus and we love each other, then the world might say that the Father sent the Son, as Jesus prayed that we would in John 17. You see, the church, you know, we're just seen as being divided, critical, jealous, overbearing. The world doesn't see a united church. That's what Jesus prayed for. A one in Christ Jesus. What is church? It's people grounded in Jesus, it's people submitting to Jesus and people united in Jesus. It's all about Jesus. More of Jesus, less of us. More of him, less of me. I've been praying a lot this week about this sermon. Praying, I guess, what would Jesus say to church by the bridge? If he was speaking to us now, what would he say? And I have prayed about this. And I'm going to give you this. It's Revelation chapter 2. The church in Ephesus. Turn it to me as I close. Our last passage tonight. Revelation chapter 2. It's on page 867. What would Jesus say to this church? Verse 2. Jesus says, I, I, I know your deeds. Jesus knows, Jesus sees his church. And just like Ephesus, just like church by the bridge, there's lots happening. I know your deeds, I know your hard work, I know your perseverance. You're labouring for Jesus, you're, you're hard-working Christians, you're active at your service. Church isn't about your spare time, it's your full-time thing. Life hasn't been easy, always easy. You persevered, verse 3. You've endured hardships for my name. You haven't grown weary, you weathered the storm. And you can't fault their doctrine. Verse 6, 
you hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And verse 2, you can't tolerate wicked men. Uh, it's a great church, isn't it? Great teaching. Uh, they can spot a heretic a mile away. You know? They're hard-working, they're labouring, they're faithful and they're fruitful. But then Jesus looks at them with x-ray vision. <laughs> he says, I, I know your heart. Verse 4. But you've forsaken your first love. But you've forsaken your first love. Your chief love, your primary love, that is Jesus. He's saying, have we shifted? Uh, of course you love Jesus, of course I love Jesus, but subtly have we started to, to love the things that we do more than we love the person of Jesus Christ? Oh, we work hard here. We go to all these replenished courses and we've got all these connect groups running, we've got programmes and we've got books on our shelves and we're working our socks off and our, our standards are high and ethically we, we love to high ethical standards. But Jesus says, but do you love me more than your structures? Do you love me most of all? Is that why you come? Is that why you do things? Is that why you work hard? Because you love Jesus as your Lord and your Saviour. I reckon that's the, the devil's cleverest device to destroy this church in Kirby. To make us worship Christian work and Christian activity rather than the Lord Jesus. To make us proud in our church achievements and our church growth and we move the spotlight away from Jesus and onto structures and onto church. What is church about? I don't care where we meet. What I do care about is we meet for the right reason. Loving Jesus, honouring Jesus, serving Jesus, in awe of Jesus, worshipping Jesus, grounded in Jesus, submitting to Jesus, united in Jesus. And as we look into his, his wonderful face, the things of the world will grow strangely dim in light of his glory and his grace. Let me pray. Let me give you a moment to to thank God for Jesus. Maybe to acknowledge times you haven't submitted to him or You've been divisive unnecessarily. Or maybe your heart has shifted away from Jesus onto things, onto good works, onto good deeds. Our Father, we we love Jesus the one who's freed us from our sins by his blood, the one who's made us a, a kingdom and priest to serve you, our God and Father. We love Jesus, the one who sacrificed himself on that cross, the one who won us, who loves us, who brought us together. Father, we love him and we want to serve him and submit to him and give him all the glory. We ask that in Jesus' precious name. Amen.